1: You're listening to 3 and 30 Takeaways for Moms, episode 147, teaching children how to advocate for themselves. Welcome to 3 and 30, a podcast for moms who want to create more meaning in motherhood. Each 30 minute episode will feature three doable takeaways for you to try at home with your family this week. I'm your host, Rachel Nielsen. Thank you so much for being here. September is historically known as back-to-school season here in the United States, and even though back-to-school looks a lot different for many of us this year due to COVID-19, it's still a season when many of us are focusing in on our children's learning and academic progress. Last year in September, I ran a series called You Are Your Child's Most Important Teacher to remind all of us that many of our children's most important life lessons will not happen at school, but instead will happen in our homes. And in fact, what we teach our children in our homes will profoundly affect their success in their classrooms at school and with peers and teachers. Last year's topics were teaching our children about skin tone and race, talking to our children about sex, and teaching our children about pornography— All very timely, real-world topics that it's important for us to have conversations with our children about as they head out into the world. I will link all of those episodes in the show notes if you missed them or if you want to go back and review. I loved last year's back-to-school theme so much that we're going to do it again, and I've lined up an incredible series of expert guests this month to help us navigate some really important conversations with our children as their primary teachers. To kick off our series, we have a guest expert today who I'm so incredibly honored to interview. Dr. Tracy Baxley has been an educator for over 30 years with degrees in child development, elementary education, and curriculum and instruction. She specializes in belonging, diversity, and inclusion, social justice education, race identity, and anti-bias curriculum. She's also the creator of Social Justice Parenting, a parenting philosophy that moves families from fear-based parenting to parenting from a place of radical love for themselves, their children, and humanity. On top of all of that, Dr. Baxley is also a mother to five children, and she's passionate about teaching them how to courageously advocate for themselves and their unique needs, which will be the topic of our discussion today. I can't think of a better or more foundational topic to kick off our September series than this one. Before we jump in, I am so grateful to BetterHelp for sponsoring this month's special back-to-school series. Hopefully, you've already heard me rave about BetterHelp, but in case you haven't, or if you need a reminder and a little push to go for it, BetterHelp is the world's largest provider of therapy done 100% online. In my early motherhood years, I was depressed and discouraged every day with terrible thoughts of self-loathing and negative self-talk. When I look back at that time, I hardly recognize myself because I am so much happier now and so much stronger mentally and emotionally. I really attribute that turnaround to two things, going to therapy and starting my podcast. We'll talk about podcasting in a second, but first let's talk about therapy. Therapy helped me to see my distorted thoughts for what they were. It gave me tools to actively change the way I talked to myself. It was absolutely life-changing for me, but it was also a huge sacrifice of time and money. Every week, I'd have to find a babysitter for my young children, drive 30 minutes to my counselor's office, spend an hour talking to her, drive back to get the kids, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. If I'd known about an option like BetterHelp back then, it would have been incredibly beneficial for me as a busy young mom. With BetterHelp, you can see your counselor wherever is most convenient. If you're a stay-at-home mom, you can get the kids settled in for nap time or turn on a show and sneak up to your room to get some therapy. If you're working outside the home, you can schedule a session during your lunch break. There are also options to text and message your counselor throughout the week. BetterHelp makes therapy more convenient, accessible, and affordable, and it is a perfect solution for busy moms. So if you're struggling emotionally and discouraged like I was, why not give this a try? Go to betterhelp.com forward slash three and 30 to get started with a quick intake survey and get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp.com slash three and 30. Now, the second thing that I did to improve my mental health was starting my podcast. You might wonder what in the world that has to do with mental health, but believe me, it changed everything for me because I was creating, I was using my gifts and connecting with other women. Has podcasting been hard at times? Yes, very. But that's also been good for my mental health because it's helped me to build emotional resilience and to push through disappointments and stress and keep going. I feel more myself since starting my podcast, and I want that for you too. If you have ever felt a little tug in your heart to start a podcast and you think it might be a blessing for your emotional wellness, I invite you to join me for a free online class on podcasting this month. I'm teaching four classes, two on how a busy mom can start a podcast and two on how you could grow a podcast if you already have one. And I would love to meet you there and get you started on your path. You can go to podcastu.co slash free class to reserve your seat. And these free classes start on September 21st. So don't wait. Go to podcastu.co slash free class to sign up and I'll put that link in the show notes. And finally, last announcement, I promise, but I just wanted to make sure that you know about another back-to-school resource that I think might help you during this wild time. I recently discovered the podcast How To with Pulitzer Prize-winning journalist Charles Duhigg, and I love it. Each week, he takes on a burning question from a listener, and then he finds a top expert to answer a how-to, how to do that thing. This month, they're doing a special series on this unusual back-to-school season called Cheat Sheet, where they're covering topics like how to navigate your children's screen use in the time of distance learning, how to talk to your sons specifically about masculinity, sex, and pornography, and how to support your high school senior in making plans for the future during this uncertain pandemic era. If you like 3 and 30, I think you'll like How To as well, and I wanted to make sure you know about it. You can listen anywhere you get your podcasts. And now onto the show, let's talk about teaching our kids how to advocate for themselves. Here we go. Dr. Tracy Baxley, welcome to 3 and 30.
0: Thank you. I'm so excited to be here. This is fantastic. I love your brand.
1: Oh, thank you. I'm so excited to have you here. I love following you on Instagram and all the goodness that you share over there. And I knew we had to get you on the podcast. And I've heard you on several other podcasts as well, talking about this topic, of teaching our children to advocate for themselves and to know their needs and to help others meet their needs. And so to start off, why don't you tell us a bit about your family and why you felt it was so important to model for your children and explicitly teach them how to advocate for themselves?
0: Yeah, for sure. I, um, I'm i a mother of five children mm-hmm. and um, my children are biracial. So mm-hmm. my husband is white and that itself has its own unique skills that they have to navigate in the world, yes. right? I also have children. I uh, have a child who is diagnosed with ADHD. Mm-hmm. I have a child who was diagnosed with OCD, with you know high anxiety issues. Mm-hmm. And then I have another child who more recently was diagnosed um, with depression. So she is doing very well and is fighting her way through out of it. But yeah, so my kids all have very unique needs, Mm. and I'm not always around to be able to help them navigate that. Mm, And so in the process of learning how to parent children with these unique needs, I thought it was very important that my children know who they are, own whatever issues or whatever blessings that they have, Mm -hmm. and how to get support in the ways that they need it.
1: Yes. Oh, that's so powerful because we can't be with our children all the time. And so we have to teach them how to do the things that we often do for them. And there are so many moms who reach out to me specifically for resources for children with ADHD and for children with anxiety and depression. And so this is going to be so helpful for them as well as just these are skills that any child can use to get their needs met in the world.
0: Yes, for sure. I mean, it's a life skill that it's important to, to be able to really get what you want out of the world. And also it, it's not just about yourself, but it it's teaches you how to ask for help when you need the help. Yes. Like, you know, that you don't have to go it alone with everything. Exactly.
1: Yes. It's not like a selfish, get what you want. It's a, it's ask for help, get what you need, get the support that you need, and then also give the support to others yes. that they need.
0: Absolutely.
1: Yes. Yes. Well, let's jump into our three takeaways. you just want to start with your first?
0: Yeah. So the first thing that I would say that you need to do is really spend time really getting to know your child and helping them to know their own strengths in the areas that they need support mm-hmm. with. So, I mean, it really does start with us spending some one-on-one time with our children and really seeing who they are. I always say, you know, we have to parent the the kids that we got, not necessarily the kids that we thought we would get. Yes. (laughs) And so getting to know who they are really, it's really the first step and helping them know who they are and what their needs are is really important. Mm. And we do this, you know, we really can do it just on a daily basis. I know sometimes when my kids are playing sports, when they finish, I always say, okay, what did you do well? And then after they tell me things they did well, I said, okay, what what were you most proud of today? Or what can you do differently or better the next time? So that they are aware and mindful of giving myself the compliment, but also knowing that there's some things that I could still get better at. And it also, as a mom, it lets me see whether they have a good balance of how to compliment themselves without going overboard. And how Mm -hmm. to be able to navigate the space of, you know what, I don't have it all together, but this is what I can work on without being too negative on themselves. Mm -hmm. So it gives me an idea of where I need to work with that child based on how they can self-monitor. Yes,
1: because you could go, and and we all have children who go to one extreme or the other, yes. who, who maybe are overly complimentary of themselves and never can acknowledge the ways they need to improve, or the children that are so negative about themselves and don't know how to also build themselves up. So I love that yes. you said, gives you a measure of the balance that each individual child has. And it's just teaching them to be reflective, which isn't something that is automatic for children to think about their performance, how they're doing their strengths and weaknesses. And in a pretty matter of fact way, not in a self-critical, I stink. I'm the worst, but just saying matter of factly, these are my strengths. These are areas where I could improve. And then kind of brainstorming. Okay. How are we going to work on that? The areas where you're going to improve.
0: Yep. And and that's exactly where you want them to be, to just know it as a fact of who they are Mm -hmm. with no judgment one way or the other. And, and being able to see that and use that in order to be able to help themselves in the future. yeah.
1: Yes, that's beautiful. And then what is your second takeaway?
0: My second takeaway is once you've had the conversation about knowing who they are, they know who they are. The second thing is to really then to be able to articulate the needs that they have mm-hmm. and teaching them to be comfortable with telling their own stories. Okay. So, for example, my son who has ADHD was in public school and it was difficult for him. And the school system, where it was set up, was not working for him. So, I started homeschooling him. And the first curriculum that we did was what is ADHD? What does this mean to you? How does this mm-hmm. impact your world? And so, we did like three months on defining what it is what he should need, wow. what he should do, how this is actually could be a blessing for him. What do you need to say to people who say something about ADHD? Look at all the other people, you know, smart, brilliant, successful people who were diagnosed with ADHD, so that he really knew who he was, was able to embrace his story as somebody with ADHD and not wore, wore it more like a badge, right? And not something mm. to be ashamed about.
1: And he fully understood it. He understood yes. what was going on in his mind. and Yes, body.
0: exactly. So when he was being like impulsive, I could say a word to him that would trigger him remembering what he learned and some skills that he could use to, su- to support himself in trying to get back in control. Mm. And it also helped with him to be able to articulate his needs. Like he would say to my husband, you know, I'm not trying to be X, Y, Z. I just may need a minute to be by myself mm. or, you know, I'm going to go take a swim in the pool because I feel like I have a lot of energy. Yeah. So he was able to kind of own it a little bit more and be a little bit more mindful of the attributes of ADHD and try to channel those in a more positive way.
1: Yes. And I know it's so, I feel like it's so powerful for me when someone gives me, kind of a term or a label for what I've been feeling, it feels so empowering to be like that, that is what's going on in me, you know? Um, And so I'm sure for him to have an understanding really was empowering. How as a mom do you balance that with not wanting him to use his diagnosis as like a crutch or to always say, well, I have ADHD, so I can't focus right now or whatever that may be.
0: Yes. And, And actually, I think learning about it helped with that. Oh, really? Because, yes, because he now knows like scientifically what it is and what it's not. And then when he would try to use it in a way that didn't align with what he learned, I could just say, you know, does that align with what you read and what you learned and what we studied? Mm-hmm. And he would be able to say, OK, OK, right. It's not right. Or I can I can I can help that. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I think it, it empowered him. And then it also gave me the leverage just to put it back on him. You know, mm-hmm. is that appropriate? Yeah. Uh, is that something you can control? Yeah.
1: And do you feel like, I, I know there are some moms who feel like they'd rather not talk in depth about the diagnosis or the disability if there is one, because they're afraid it will become a label for the child to the child themselves or to others. Have you ever felt that it has been like a negative label for your son? that he knows this about himself, that he limits himself because of it?
0: I don't find that to be the case. I found that that label empowers my children. I remember when my oldest son was first diagnosed with OCD, right? He had some intrusive thoughts, but now he's totally gotten that totally under control and he's in a really great place. Mm -hmm. But when I said, oh, this is what that is, he was like, oh my God, I did not. I thought it was just me. I'm like, no, Mm. there's thousands, thousands of people (laughs) who also have that. And so that was more empowering because it's like, okay, this is not something about me. This is something really about my brain that I can fix and I'm not the only one.
1: Yes. And I love that you mentioned that in your curriculum you developed with your son, you also researched successful people who'd had this, who had ADHD. I know one of my podcast sponsors from a few months ago is Bravery Magazine, and they feature a different female role model in each issue. And they did an issue about Temple Grandin, and they said that some of the best feedback that they've gotten from parents is that they've been able to use that Temple Grandin issue to talk to their children who have autism about autism and say, you have this as well. And look at how successful and what a difference Temple's made in the world and how this is really a gift that you have. And so it's given them someone to look to who's a role model that has that same condition.
0: Yeah, I love that. That's, that's beautiful.
1: And I think this is something that parents could do, even if they're not homeschooling, just to get books around it, to kind of develop a little unit around it and have it be a focus to teach them. And this year, when we, a lot of us are having our kids home, at least part of the time, I know my kids are doing a hybrid. They're two days a week in school and then three days a week doing distance learning. I have more time with them that I could maybe do something like this and develop a little unit around their specific needs.
0: Yes, definitely. Yeah. I think the time will allow for us to really specialize in the things that our children are interested in or the things that really matter to us as a family.
1: Yes. And I just think about, as I heard you describing this, I think about a friend of mine who he's on the spectrum. I think they they would have called it Asperger's before. I'm, I'm pretty sure they don't use that label anymore, but his mom was really adamant that he not be labeled that way all growing up. And so he never got the additional support that he could have gotten in school. And she thought that she was really serving him. Um, in fact, they never had him tested, even though they were pretty sure they never had him tested cause they didn't want him to have that label. And mm-hmm. as an adult, he got tested and he told me what relief it was to finally have words to describe what was different about him and to be able to access the support that you can get through having an IEP or different things in school that he wishes his mom would have done that sooner, even though he knows it was only out of
0: love that she was trying to
1: protect him from that label. He does wish that she would have just embraced it and taught him about it more fully.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I, I found that to be true too. When I was teaching in the school system, a lot of parents are not wanting the, their children labeled. And I mean, and I understand that it can be scary because sometimes when people label your children, they also put limitations on them. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think the more we're talking about them, the more that these things are not taboo and the more we can use those to empower, mm-hmm. I think the, the better um, and the more that children can be able to self-advocate for, create the changes that they need for themselves. Yes. And I think We also have to make sure that we are not assuming that our children will be able to do this on their own, right? So we really have to have practice. Mm -hmm. They have to see what advocating for yourself looks like. Mm -hmm. Um, A lot of times I will do that that talk out loud with my kids around so that they can hear what my brain is thinking, like what their brain should be thinking as they're making decisions Mm -hmm. so that they can see it in action and be able to practice it on their own.
1: Yeah. So can you give an example of that, of when you would sort of talk out loud to model for them advocating for themselves?
0: Yeah. Like if we are out and we're getting a service done, whether it's like getting the car fixed or out at a restaurant and things, I know my daughter and I have gone to like get our nails done or something and the service is not done well. Mm. Um, My kids are always like, well, let's just go. Let's just go. It's no big deal. I'm like, okay, (laughs) We, we are paying for a service. I'm not saying we have to be rude and we have to be obnoxious about it, but we need to decide whether it's something that we need to say out loud to either get it fixed or to make sure that the next person that comes in is getting the service that they deserve. Yes. And so I would say like, okay, th- these are the pros of, of saying, should I say something, you know, because this is not the food that I really ordered. I don't really like it. What if I was allergic to these eggs that they put on my plate when I said, don't put the eggs on there. I think I'm going to say something because it's kind of a big deal if we're paying our money and we came out to enjoy dinner and we end up with the wrong thing. But I don't want them to get in trouble because what if their manager sees that they put in the wrong order? So I will go through the scenarios and then just make the decision whether it's worth me... Speaking out and advocating for myself or talking out loud, it decided that it's not that big of a deal and we'll just kind of keep moving forward. Mm. So in any chance that you get to be able to have those conversations out loud are worth it because your children can then start to unpack what that really looks like. Mm. Yes. And I do that too with my kids on the phone. Like My my younger kids were like, we're ordering something or I need them to call to verify something on the phone. They don't like to do it. You know, they're so used to texting stuff. And I'm like, no, this is a chance for you to be able to speak to somebody, to tell them what you need and to be able Mm -hmm. to have a conversation about it. And so I kind of make my kids do the phone thing where they have to make decisions and speak to another adult about what, what their needs are. Yes.
1: Yeah. And I feel like that's so much easier for certain temperaments of children and personalities. My son has always been willing to go up to the counter at a restaurant and ask for you know, the napkins or the ketchup or say that something wasn't quite right. He likes to go up and give his name at the doctor's office instead of having me give his name. He wants to sort of check in, which is great. great. And I encourage it. I absolutely encourage it because that's teaching him to advocate for himself. My daughter is more shy. And so I, I have to walk the line between supporting her and also teaching her to be her own advocate and to speak up and to talk to adults. And she's only six. So we're still, you know, we have plenty of time, yeah. but to be aware right. of that, that as much as possible, having them do some of those things for themselves mm-hmm. teaches them how to speak up when you're not around and they need to speak up for themselves.
0: Right. And then you just, you just scaffold that learning, right? You can say your name. I'm going to send right next to you. While you say your name, you know, mm-hmm. and so you kind of scaffold that learning and that. Um, and as they start getting good at those small things, then you back up a little bit and give them something bigger to work on. I know you're talking about asking for the catch up. And I was, <laughs> we went through a drive through with my little one a uh, few couple years ago. And I think he got like nuggets and they didn't have, he, they didn't give him a sauce. Mm-hmm. We were pulling out and he was like, oh man, they didn't get my sauce. And I said, you know, let's go back and ask for the sauce. He goes, no, 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 I don't need, I don't need. I said, I'm turning around. You're going to get out of this car <laughs> and walk into that restaurant because see, this is low stakes here. Yes. You've got to learn to do the low stake things. So when the high stakes things come, like when your friends are telling you, to try this or to go there right. or to drink that, you need to have language around that and practice of saying no and being able to say why. Yes. And so I forced him <laughs> to get out of the car and go do it. And then when he got back, I'm like, was it that bad? What did we learn? Yeah. How did mom make you do that? Yeah. Yes. So sometimes we do have to push them a little bit um, mm-hmm. that when it's low stakes, you know?
1: Yes. I love these like practical real world examples that we, we as moms encounter opportunities every day to teach our kids and model these things for our kids, but we just may not think about it. We may not think I should have them go do that, or I should talk this decision out loud that I usually, I normally just make in my brain. I should talk it out loud so my kids can hear me doing it and see the model
0: of it. Yes. 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 And then what's your third takeaway? So the third takeaway is then teaching them how to build a support team that they need. Like we know mom and dad are, are the first support team, right? Mm -hmm. But you're going to need people outside of your house to be your support team. So if you're in school and you like uh, my son needed, uh, he has test anxiety. So he needed like a quiet, small space for testing. He got it in his um, IEP. And so, I don't go to your teacher. I'm not going to your teacher to tell your teacher that's what you need. That's your that's your job. Mm-hmm. So who do you need to tell in mm-hmm. school? Who are those people? What do you need to say to those? So we practice it. We write it down. Okay, your teacher, your teacher the first week of class, you need to say, this is who I am. Have you read my 504 plan? Mm-hmm. Um, and the guidance counselor, how do you make an appointment with your guidance counselor to make sure she's on board and she's talked to your teacher? And so I try to get my children to see who those team members are, because like we said earlier, right? It doesn't mean self-advocacy doesn't mean you're going in alone. It's, you know, when you are your own help, you know, who else you need to help you and when. And so we we try to figure out Mm -hmm. what that team looks like in this situation. And then you do the job of pulling that team together.
1: Yes. And what I love about this too is it's it's very proactive and it's also when you can be your own advocate, I feel like you can have more grace for other people because you're not expecting them to know everything about you and meet your needs and remember all the details because you know you can just ask for it if somebody doesn't. Because I was a high school English teacher for years and I had many, many students with IEPs and I had a lot of kids I was juggling. And so it may be that I forgot that a kid gets extended time for a test or needs a different environment. And I had some kids who wouldn't say anything and then I'd get an infuriated call later When I had, but then I had other kids who would just say, come up to me quietly and they don't need to make a big deal about it and say, Miss Nielsen, Mm -hmm. remember I get, and I'd say, oh yes, yes. And it was just, it was so compassionate of those kids and so mature of them to know their own needs and to just uh, respectfully communicate them to me and not assume the worst of me. Assume that I hadn't read it or that I was purposely denying them of what they needed.
0: Yes. Oh, I love that you kind of brought that full circle. That's exactly right. That's what I said to him. Your teacher has hundreds of students. Right. They're not going to know. They don't remember that. They, they may not remember for the next test. Right. That's your job. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. They, thank you for bringing that full circle. That's great.
1: Yeah. Know yourself, know what you need and know how to ask for what you need in a respectful way. And then obviously if your needs aren't being respectfully accommodated, then you may need to move on to a next step where you talk to somebody that, you know, but to just start and lead out with just respectfully asking for what you need, I think is really powerful. And another thing that I love about this takeaway is that brainstorming in advance with your kids, kind of who their support team is, I think can alleviate a lot of anxiety. I know for me, I have anxiety You know, day to day, I struggle with anxiety, but it gets a lot worse after I have babies. And I'll sometimes go through like wild, like I'm, I'm fearful, and I have like these wild what ifs, where I'm like, what if something happened in the night with the baby, and I had to leave, and who would take care of Noah? And like, it's not rational, but it's still real. It's still real to me, you know. And one thing that's been helpful is for me to actually play that out to the end and say, okay, what would I do then? well, I don't have a close neighbor or friend that I know well enough to call on a whim. So I need to work on developing that friendship so that I do have somebody or I do have Mm -hmm. a neighbor or friend that I could call and I'm going to give them a heads up that if I ever had an emergency situation, they would be the one that I would call. And then once I kind of know that the plan and I know who my support team is, I can just relax a little bit. And so especially for like, anxious kiddos, I think That's if you great. talk them through, if you get really overwhelmed or scared at school and you feel like you're going to have a panic attack, who is a safe person Yes, that you could go to that would help you at school? And let's write that person's name down and maybe even have a conversation proactively with them and say, is it okay if I come to you if I'm in a really tough spot? And I think that can ease so much anxiety.
0: Yes. And there's so many adults that are willing and so excited to help with that at, in yes. schools. Yeah.
1: I, I mean, I would be honored if a student chose me as the person that they would come to, yeah. you know? And so even just them having that conversation, even if they never actually have to do that by, by the fact with them having the conversation, they build a closer connection with that teacher or that adult in the school, just simply by the adult knowing that this child trusts them. Yes.
0: And that, like you say, that alleviates so much of the anxiety knowing that if I need it, that's already in place hmm
1: So I feel like so often with my anxiety, I sometimes, and I'm sure with children with anxiety, parents are, have the instinct to kind of shut it down and say, that will never happen and try to reassure and say, that will never happen. That will never happen. But instead saying, okay, if that does happen, what would we do? Yes. And like playing it out, I think can really calm anxieties. At least it does for me.
0: <laughs> yeah. No, I think that's a great idea. <laughs>
1: Well, this has been such an amazing conversation. So many practical takeaways and tidbits in here for helping our children, whatever their needs might be. Did you have anything else you want to add to any of these takeaways before we end? And it's okay if you don't, but I just didn't want to cut you off.
0: Yeah, no, the The, the only thing that I want to say is really to make sure that you are praising them as they start to get better. Like, you know, obviously they won't be great at it In the beginning but making sure that you're building them up as they are learning and becoming more aware and being able to advocate more so it's a process and um you know have some grace with them and um praise them as they as they start to develop more and more of it
1: yes absolutely and i think it's so powerful to use the word yet yes you know they you haven't mastered this yet i even sometimes do that with sally when she's really shy i'll say to the other adult I'll say, Sally is still learning how to use her voice or Sally hasn't mastered this yet, but we're working on it just to let them know, the child know in the way that I'm speaking about them that they're going to get better at this and they're going to make mistakes and they're going to improve. That's great. Well, I can't thank you enough for your time today and for the work that you do for families. It's so needed. It's so inspiring. And if moms listening want more education from you, what types of courses or coaching opportunities do you offer?
0: Yeah, I do one on one coaching and and do also small group coaching. Uh, Mm -hmm. And the courses that I have running right now is a course on anti racist work. So if you want to talk Mm -hmm. to your children about racism. Um, this course is really great for that. And I am in the process in September, I'm opening up a new course. This is a course I'm really excited about because there's a lot of components to it. It's for transracial families. so it's mostly white mm-hmm. moms who have adopted black or biracial children um, to support them in their work and keeping the cultural, the birth culture and heritage of that child alive and well. And I got my uh, social justice parenting book that's coming out next year. So I'm excited about that. Yeah. Oh, wow.
1: So, so many exciting things. And I'll definitely link your website and your Instagram profile so people can follow along. And thank you so much for your time and for coming on 3 and 30. And we'll definitely stay in touch with your work. And we're just so grateful to have had you.
0: Awesome. Thank you, Rachel. Thanks for having me.
1: Thank you for joining me for that fabulous conversation with Dr. Tracy Baxley. Isn't she phenomenal? So intentional, so calming and wise. As a quick recap, her three takeaways for teaching children how to advocate for themselves were, first, spend time getting to know your child and helping them to reflect on their strengths and weaknesses. You can do this by asking them what they did well and what they want to improve on after a sports activity or assessment at school. Get them thinking about their own progress in a matter-of-fact way. Second, support children in articulating their needs by giving them a thorough understanding of their unique needs, whether those are diagnosed conditions that you want them to understand about themselves or simply just personality preferences and learning styles. I loved her idea of building out a little curriculum about ADHD so her son could understand it better and accept that his limitations weren't a personal failing, but were the result of a biological condition and he could ask for support. And third and finally, teach children to brainstorm proactively who could be on their support team or what resources might help them. If it helps them to actually plan it out, write it out, or even ask the person in advance, then help them to do that. You may have to practice with them what a conversation would sound like if they have to approach a teacher to ask for accommodations, role play, and help them feel comfortable and safe utilizing their support team. This conversation left me feeling empowered and excited to look for opportunities in my daily life with my children to weave in some practice with self-advocacy. I want them to be courageous advocates of their own needs, and I know that starts with what I model for them. My friends, I think a lot of parents would benefit from this episode, particularly those who have children with additional needs. Will you please help to spread the word about this episode by texting it to friends who come to mind or by sharing it on your social media and within your friend group? It's my prayer that this episode will reach the mama who needs to hear it because her child has received a diagnosis and she's overwhelmed about how to help them manage it and advocate for themselves. Thank you in advance for your help. This is an amazingly supportive community that I am so lucky to be a part of, and I hope you have a fabulous week with your family.